You're listening to Atheistically Speaking. Hey, my brilliant listeners. Today we continue the discussion with Greta Christina, and then we're going to have a lot of other content. So uh, it's not not all interview. Um, so it's episode 28, and my name is Thomas Smith, as is the norm. And uh, if my name was Norm, then I could say it was really the <laughs> terrible joke. Um, so in this episode, in this part of the interview, I asked Greta, I wanted to know, because this is a topic I do want to tackle, and that is feminism and and in some ways misogyny in the atheist community. And I've sort of played the outsider a bit because I am. I mean, I came into this – you guys probably know. I mean, I haven't been real active in the community. I've been podcasting, 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 and that's left me not a lot of time. But as I've started to get more active and at least network more, follow more people – I have noticed the divide that probably already have, everyone knows about uh, with, you know, there, there are women, a lot of women in atheism who feel excluded and who feel like there's a misogyny problem and, um, and th- there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of, I mean, there's anger at Richard Dawkins, there's anger at people not doing enough at conferences to combat sexual assault, that kind of thing. And I really, because of the nature of my show and what I want to do, I'm approaching this as 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 unbiased as I can. I, I really and, – and I asked her. You'll hear. I, I asked Greta sort of as an outsider, as someone who's sort of – I'm finding my way in the movement, kind of. I mean I'm finding you know all these dynamics and what's happening with, with feminism. I really didn't know much about it until recently I started reading more into it. And so I just asked her. I just wanted her opinion and, and it turned out great. She the, the way she answered and everything she said was amazing. I don't – there might be minor points of disagreement and, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll check in with you guys after the, the interview segment here. It's about 20 minutes and uh, I'll sort of do a, a, an analysis I think. But it, it was fascinating. I got so mu- – I learned so much and I, I hope that you will sort of join me in approaching this because there's – what I'm trying to say is there's a, there's a ton of bias, there's a ton of anger, and there's people on both sides uh, of this issue, of course, and, and they are very close to the other side, which I'm not trying to blame anybody. I mean, I, fem, females who are angry at misogyny, of course, they have every right to be angry. But I just want to encourage you to try to listen from an unbiased point of view and then maybe from because I'm a male, I'm not a female. I'm not. I don't consider myself able to uh, know everything that goes on being f- for women in atheism. So this was an instance where I wanted to ask someone. I mean, I got to ask Tracy a little bit. Tracy's not quite in the uh, situation that Greta's in. Tracy a couple weeks ago, um, but she certainly described having a hard time starting a, a women's group in atheism, and so. In that similar spirit, I'm just trying to investigate here. So, so listen to it with an open mind, and uh, let's let's see where we what conclusions we can draw. Mm-hmm. 
as somebody I, I did mention before we were recording, as somebody who's sort of newish to the the larger atheist community and and really trying to um, find you know find my place and find 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 out more about it, I'm curious as uh, you being a, um, an outspoken feminist, I wonder. I I've, lately I I see so many feminists. Um, Really bashing people like Richard Dawkins and and that sort of thing, and I, I wonder if you would be able to give any take on that to someone who you know coming coming up upon this as Richard Dawkins. I just knew you know I read his book and I really liked his books, and then I I see these things happen. I see people who I respect who are really uh, not big fans of his now, and and I I don't know how to react to that. I just wonder if you could give me some guidance along those lines. Well, that's a very, very, very large topic, and I'm not <laughs> okay. Justice in a few minutes, but that, I'm not saying no. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just saying it, it may be a little difficult to really distill that down. Um, I mean, one answer that I can give you is I was a huge Richard Dawkins fan. Richard Dawkins is the reason that I'm an atheist. Mm. You know, reading the God Delusion was what made me decide. I'm not just an agnostic, I'm not just a skeptic. I am an atheist, and it's what inspired me to get involved in atheist activism. And therefore, when he started saying things that were just really sexist and really racist and really just, you know, incredibly insensitive uh, and and actually harmful, you know, to women and to feminists and to people of color in this movement, it was incredibly disappointing. It was so disillusioning and it was just really disheartening. And I wanted for a long time to go, oh, okay, yeah, he said this bad thing, but, you know, it's just one bad thing and maybe he was having a bad day and, you know, I'll, I'll cut him some slack. And I cut him slack for a long time and a lot of feminists cut him slack for a long time. And it's, you know, obviously it's not just Richard Dawkins. There's been a lot of criticism of, you know, leaders in our movement for saying and doing things that are, that have been very sexist, that have been very racist, that have been very classist and so on. And, you know, that's, not something any of us wants to do. You know, I don't, I want, you know, I don't want to do that, but I think that it's important that we do it. I think that, you know, we're not religion. We get to criticize our leaders. You know, it's one of the things that I like about atheism is that I can see people who I admire and whose ideas inspired me and I can still see that they have feet of clay and I can still see that they have real problems. And I hope people will do that with me. I mean, they do it all the time. It's like, I don't want people to look up to me and admire my work so much that they won't tell me when I'm saying something horrible. Um, we're supposed to be able to do that. You know, we're free thinkers. We're supposed to be able to criticize each other and not see each other as being a- above criticism because we're anointed by the Lord or whatever. And so, um, and I think that it's really important that we talk about these issues. I think it's really important that we talk about when, you know, and not just, you know, big name leaders in our movement, but when, you know, when there are, when local local groups or when national atheist organizations take actions that make, you know, women, that make people of color, that make working class and blue collar people, that make people who are leaving religions other than Christianity, that make uh, transgender people, and so on, not feel welcome, not feel part of this movement when it makes, you know, and that's something that's been going on for years in this movement. And it is getting better. And I think one of the reasons it's getting better is that a lot of us have been speaking out about it. A lot of us have been speaking out and saying, here's a good example. When I first started doing uh, the conference circuit, 
uh, it was very common for you look at a conference speaker lineup and it would be entirely white men right. or, or overwhelmingly white men. You know, it's like, you know, maybe one woman and one person who wasn't white. And you don't see that nearly as much anymore. You know, it's, 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 we still have a ways to go. Uh, but when you look at uh, speaker lineups at conferences, much more, what you're seeing is a lot of women, a lot of people of color, a lot of people who are leaving, who have left uh, religions uh, other than Christianity and so on. And that's because we've been griping about it. It's because we've been speaking out about it. And we've been saying, you know, when you do this, this makes women feel unwelcome. This makes African-Americans, Hispanic people, uh, people of Asian descent, people of Middle Eastern descent not feel welcome. This makes working class people not feel welcome. And it's it's painful. It's upsetting. You know, it's, it's not fun. But it, it has to happen if we want our movement and our communities to, to, to really be welcoming and to really be a safe place to land for any atheist, regardless of what gender they are, what class they are, what race they are, what ethnicity they are. Um, do you ever worry that the backlash goes too far um, sometimes? And it be, Because I see, I mean, and again, it, it's, you know, being a white male, it's, you know, I, I <laughs> pretty much have to rely on uh, everyone's experience. I have to rely on everyone else's accounts of experiences and trust them because I have whatever privilege I have. And it's, it's very, you know, it's pretty much the thing where you, you, I have to rely on other people and listen to other people and what, what they say. But sometimes, and I hope it's not just my bias, could be, um, sometimes it feels like it gets so us versus them and in-group, out-group with these these little fights. The, the, well, maybe they're not li- so little, but and, and do you ever worry about that or or do you think it's it's appropriate based on uh, to take Richard Dawkins as an example i have uh um friends that are feminists who i of course really respect and and i'm still friends with and, uh, and everything but they they have almost a they have a lot of hatred and a lot of energy for for tearing him down and 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 i, I worry that it's too far but maybe that's maybe that's my bias i don't know well, there's a couple of things I would say. Uh, one is, you know, the the antipathy towards Richard Dawkins, it's not coming out of nowhere. Rich, it's not like Richard Dawkins said one or two, you know, sexist things, and then everybody started dogpiling on, on him. He's been saying and doing sexist things a lot for years. So it's not like people are, like, just sort of dogpiling on him for no reason. Uh, it, it's been – and – because he's a leader and because so many people do look up to him, it's it kind of giving credibility to other people who are saying and doing sexist things in the movement. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, Richard Dawkins said that horrible things about Rebecca Watson and completely dismissed you know, everything she said. And, you know, therefore, we can do that, too. Therefore, we can dogpile on her as well. Uh, so it's so that's you know, that's that's one thing. And as far as sort of an us and them dynamic. I mean, the thing is, you know, it's like people say, we'll we'll often say it's like, oh, you know, when we keep talking about, you know, sexism and misogyny in the movement, we keep talking about racism in the movement and so on. It's divisive. It creates this, you know, in-group, out-group thing. The thing is, why, I'm trying to to put this, why is it divisive when I speak out about sexism but it's not divisive when somebody says something sexist. Right. Why is it divisive when African Americans speak out about racism, 
but it's not, you know, divisive when white people say things that are racist. You know, it's this idea that it's on us, it's on the marginalized people to, to, to get along and to be nice and to, you know, to be sure that we always couch our criticism in the nicest possible way. Uh, when, you know, people, you know, and I don't know if you've seen some of the stuff, you know, and it's, you know, you know, we're not just talking about Richard Dawkins here. You know, I don't know if you've seen the sort of the really hateful, toxic, misogynistic abuse that a lot of women in yeah, this movie yeah. get. I don't know if you've seen the rape threats, the death threats, the threats of really brutal violence. You know, and the thing that's that's really upsetting about it is, and this is hard to talk about, but I am more frightened of atheists who hate me because I'm a feminist than I am of religious believers who hate me because I'm wow, an atheist. Wow. Uh, because the hatred that I've gotten from atheists because I'm a feminist, the barrage of hatred and harassment and abuse has been so consistent. It's been going on for years. It's been so really ugly and vitriolic. It's been very personal. You know, it's not just like copy paste. I mean, I get a, the occasional hate thing from a religious believer, but it's like kind of this generic copy paste and they're just obviously sending it to everybody. Uh, the misogynistic hatred that gets aimed at feminist women in the atheist movement is very personal. It's very personally directed at at me, at Stephanie Zavon, at uh, Ophelia Benson, at Rebecca Watson, uh, at Amy Roth. Uh, it, it's very personal. And it's atheists who have gone beyond simply, and I put simply in air quotes because, you know, persistent online harassment and hatred and abuse is is real. That's a real thing with real consequences. But it's atheists who have gone beyond that. You know, it was an atheist who hacked into the, the Free Thought blog's email back channel and published private emails uh, that they found on it. Uh, it was an atheist who posted uh, Amy Roth's home address on the internet. You know, that's the kind of thing that that atheists are doing. And, and even if you set all of that aside, even if you say, Oh, well, yes, that's a, a horrible hate, misogynistic haters. They're doing these bad things. Even if you set that aside, and I don't think we should, you know, there's, there's just been a lot of less grotesque, but still fairly serious sexism and not just sexism, but racism, classism, and so on. Uh, that happens in the atheist movement, you know, things like concerns about sexual assault and harassment at conferences getting dismissed and treated as trivial. Uh, things like, you know, when uh, an African-American woman spoke up about something racist, somebody said at a conference, uh, somebody else speaks up and says, oh, you're just being rude. You shouldn't be so rude to, to, to push back against that. Why is it that the people who are marginalized speaking up about this are the ones who are being divisive. Whereas the people who are perpetrating it, they're not being divisive. And so that's the thing I would say about the, the us versus them dynamic that you're talking about. You know, it's, I mean, I, I see that dynamic and I don't like it, but I'm not sure why it is that the people who are speaking up about the ways that were marginalized within the community are the ones who have to bear the, the, the blame for that, for that. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's something that I've noticed a lot, actually, and it's kind of disturbing is that, so I wrote this book, why are you atheists so angry? 99 things that piss off the godless and atheists 
love it. It's like it's this, you know, righteous rant about all the terrible things that religion has done and all the terrible things that religion has done to atheists. And people are like, right on, I love your rage. But then when I rage about sexism, when I rage about racism, you know, when I rage about classism or transphobia, then they're like, oh, no, you're being divisive. You're being so you're being so rude. You're being so hostile. Why can't you tone it down? Wow. So the other thing that I would say, and this is one more thing, is sure. are there some feminists who sometimes say or do things that I don't like? Yes, absolutely. I am certainly not going to say that absolutely every feminist in the atheist movement has completely been 100% exemplary. You know, that's no, of course not. Um, what I would say is that that expectation that we always be exemplary and that when we're speaking up about ways that we are oppressed and marginalized and abused, that we always have to be perfect about that or our concerns are going to be dismissed. That itself is part of the marginalization. Wow. That was just, a, I was absolutely riveted by that, uh, by your answer. And I just, I guess I just want to say thank you for, for, putting that so well and for framing the problem so well. I mean, I, I, you know, I, not, not all of that was, I'm not so ignorant as to, to all of that was news to me, but, but to hear it put so well, it just, it really clears up a lot of things for me and, and hopefully uh, for, for some of my listeners too. I was, I'm so glad I asked. I really am. No, I'm, I'm glad you asked too. And I have to say, it's like what you started out this conversation by saying, which is that, you recognize that you're coming from a privileged position and you really need to just listen. Thank you for saying that. I mean, that, that doesn't mean that you should never speak up, but it doesn't mean you should never ask questions. Um, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't voice your opinion. Uh, but, and I have this as a white person, you know, it's, you know, I talk about race and, and I, but most of the time I just need to listen. And I, and you know, if people of color are saying that something is racist I don't want to just jump in and say, no, you're wrong. You know, <laughs> they know a lot more about racism than I do as a white person. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. And sometimes I have to change my mind. And sometimes I have to acknowledge ways that I've done things that I'm not proud of. But yeah, you know, but, but, but coming out on the other side of that is that, you know what, I get to have friendships and collegial relationships with people who aren't white. You know, I get to have <laughs> friendships and collegial relationships with people who aren't middle class and college educated. I get to have friendships and collegial, you know, relationships with people of just a hugely widely diverse range of ages and, and nationalities and coming out of different religions and, and experiences. And so that discomfort of having to sometimes just say, I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm going to listen to the people who really know what this is about. And I'm going to have to go, okay, I'm getting some stuff wrong here and I need to really stop and think about this. It is so worth it mm. for the broadening of experience that, that is on the other side of it. Yeah. And I can say, um, I think that the reason it's so difficult is because I think it can, and, and please don't take this to, to be some, uh, <laughs> some men's rights or white men's rights thing, but just to, just to understand maybe why that can be so hard is it sometimes it does feel like I can't have a voice in some ways. Um, and, and of course that's not, I'm not trying to say that's a bigger problem than the other problems. I'm just saying it, 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 it is very difficult. I, I think you, you outlined a lot of the benefits of recognizing privilege and, 
of of stopping and listening. I think maybe one of the reasons pe- people can have a hard time doing that is they it does sometimes feel a little powerless. It feels like, oh, okay, well, I, you know, I, I suppose I, I just have to, you know, I'm not allowed to have a, a view on certain things. And I, I, I guess that's just an unfortunate feeling that can sometimes happen and, and you have to work around it. Well, I think it's, it's not so much, and I, I know what you're talking about, you know, because, you know, I have some, I guess the phrases that people talk about the axis of privilege. I have some <laughs> axes on which I am, Marginalized. And it sucks when you're when you're me and you have like a nine ninety dimensional axis of <laughs> every single privilege that you can have. Um, it's so the, so sad to be me. I'm trying to say no. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but the you know when I'm thinking about you know axes on which I am privileged, you know I certainly had that feeling of oh god, it's like I'm afraid to say anything because I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. Right. But I think what it and, and it's like people are asking me to listen rather than to speak and so on or you know and. But it's not really that I'm not allowed to have a voice. It's that I'm not allowed to control the conversation, mm, that I'm not allowed to be the one who talks all the time. And that's the thing is that if you're privileged, if you're in a, you know, if you're, you know, white, if you're male, if you're straight, uh, if you're middle class college educated, and those are some ways and you know, some of those axes are ones I where- I need a bell alarm to just go off constantly when you, <laughs> ding, ding, <laughs> I'm hitting, I'm hitting all the high scores there. High scores, of course. <laughs> but, um, you know, when you are, and I'll speak from my own experience, you know, we're used to being the ones who get to control the conversation. We're right, used right. to being the ones who get to talk all the time. And so when people who are marginalized start to say, hey- we get to talk too. We know a lot more about this than you do. And we, it's not that we not, don't want you ever to talk, but we also want to be heard. And we want, you know, for our voices to be the ones who, you know, get, you know, get listened to here. And not that you never get to talk, but that you need to acknowledge that we know a little bit more about this than you do. That's, that's an adjustment. You know, that's, you're having to let go of a privilege, you know, and yes, that's absolutely uncomfortable, you know, and it's uncomfortable because you have to sort of accept responsibility. You have to accept responsibility for things that you've done wrong in the past. And that's nobody ever liked that. That's uncomfortable. We don't like to acknowledge that we've done wrong things. And so, but one thing that, and there's a couple of things that I think that, that have helped me sort of get through that. One is, you know, talking about race. I actually talk about race a fair amount now, but what I'm done first is a whole lot of listening. You know, mm. I've had to do a whole lot of listening. And so now when I talk about race, I feel like I can talk about it from an informed perspective. And I also have to sort of acknowledge that, boy, there's once in a while, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth and somebody's going to correct me. And that's not the worst thing in the world that happens, you know, to just go, oh, God, I screwed that up. And I'm sorry. And I'll do better in the future. And now let's move on. Um, but again, what's on the other side of that is just this world of having our minds expanded. And as skeptics and free thinkers and non-believers, you know, isn't that what what it's about? Yeah. Gosh, thank you so much. I, I know you, you stayed a little bit longer than you said you had time for, but I, I really appreciate it. And, and uh, man, I have <laughs> I learned a lot in that last twenty twenty five minutes, whatever it was. <laughs> Um, and we had to battle Skype a little bit, but I, I think uh, I think it all ended up coming through. Thank you so much. It's been a really good conversation. I'm so glad that we did this. Please, uh, me look too. When the link goes up, and you know, so I can plug the hell out of it. Sure, there. I will. I will send you an email. I will. I'll let you know the Twitter, everything. Thank you again. I, this has been great. 
I'd like to take this time to make a few humble requests of our wonderful listening audience. Please give us a review on iTunes. It helps the show immensely. Also, give us a like on Facebook.com slash Atheistically Speaking. And give us a follow on Twitter, username at Speak Atheism. If an episode sparks a thought or comment, leave it on the Facebook page and the guys might discuss it on the air. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the show. So there you have it. Um, that's the end of uh, the interview with Greta Christina. And I want to again thank her for coming on. It was very enlightening. So there's a lot to say. There's a lot to digest here, I think. First off, it's quite horrifying to hear that she is more afraid of atheists who hate her because she's a feminist than she is of religious people who hate her because she's an atheist. That's just sad. I mean, that that fact is sad. And I think there are a lot of there are a lot of bullies online, um, male bull, usually white male bullies. It just happens to be, and and it sucks because I'm a white male, so it <laughs> it's it, it just sucks to be part of that group that's doing it. Who would say that Greta's being too sensitive, making it up? I don't know what. I I don't know how you could argue with that. Personally, I don't know how you can listen to Greta Christina. Uh, who's a very who's not a hateful person at all? I mean, I I she would not have brought up one word of this if I didn't ask her. She wasn't planning to. I mean, she was coming on to talk about her. She said she was open to talk about anything, of course, but she was coming on to talk about her book, and her book is a delightful, uh, helpful book on coming out as atheist. She's not a hateful person. She's not. I don't see her as some like anti-male agenda or something. So I don't know. How someone, how anyone could hear that and discount the fact that she is more afraid of atheist males who hate her because she's a feminist than she is of religious people who hate her because she's an atheist. I don't know how you could discount that. I think that's a sad and sobering fact of her experience that now that we've heard that, now that, I mean, I'm again, you might, a lot of you who, who have more experience in the atheist community, bear with me. I'm, I'm really trying to approach this because of the nature of my show. I'm trying to approach this in the most inclusive and in the most unbiased and calm way, sort of starting from zero, because I'm, I kind of am starting from zero. I've, I haven't been mired in this. I, yes, I, I, you know, I probably know a little more than I'm letting on about all this stuff, but I'm really, I really want to approach it to just be able to unite as many people as I can here. Um, because that's a, that fact that she brought up is sobering, like I said, I, and that's, that's sad. I don't know. What are we going to do about that? You know, something needs to be done about that. I don't know what, I mean, long before, um, maybe not before atheists were being bullied, bullied, but long before I even knew about atheists, female atheists being bullied online, there was a problem with just bullies online. I mean, in general, there's a, there's a horrible problem and it tends to be men, of course. I mean, they're... <laughs> It's just what I don't know why. Just that's what it is, um, and that's horrible. And I, I, I wish there was something we could do about bullies in general. I wish there was more we could do about uh, bullies to these uh, amazing female atheists who, I, I think that honestly, I think they oftentimes can appear angry and can appear bitter because of what they have to go through. And Greta is absolutely right. When she says that we we can't be blaming them for getting angry, we can't be blaming 
female atheists for being mad and for or and for having their feelings hurt and for being in fear. We can't blame them. That's not that's not what we need to focus on. We need to focus on what's happening, what's causing that. Now, the only thing I'll say, and this is really just in the interest of fairness, I would say that one problem, and this is not I'm not trying to critique Greta or any other uh, female atheists out there who are speaking, or or male. I say female. I mean, of course, there are plenty of males speaking on behalf of you know feminism and atheism, and I I don't want to discount that. I've just been I've been simplifying it and, and saying female, but I, I suppose anyone speaking for feminism. One thing I do think is a problem, and I'm not pointing fingers, but I think a problem is that the 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 two sides are never interacting. And maybe that's impossible. Maybe it's again. No, please don't. I, I, I'm being as careful as I can because I just think this is such a touchy subject, and I really am not trying to cause offense with anyone. I, I'm really trying to draw the conclusions I can based on listening to a female voice. I would like to listen to more. I'd like to have more on my show. If you know anyone, uh, please, uh, you know, refer them to me or refer me to them. Either way, uh, to speak about this issue. I want to get as many sides as I can. I want to get as many perspectives as I can. But anyway, back to what I'm trying to say is a problem is that a lot of the anger, a lot of the anger that we see for these female atheist personalities online, which is completely 100% justified, unfortunately, and this is just a, a sad fact, again, not pointing fingers, unfortunately, the anger, the people who see it tend to be men who probably agree with them. And and that's just something that I don't know how to fix. I mean, it's really hard to get the message across to misogynist people and to, to male bullies. It's hard to get the message to them because they're the ones who you just have to block. And then when you say something, they go off on you. And uh, it, it's very hard to have a dialogue. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm not saying women – are wrong to be to be angry and to be short-tempered with all that they've had to put up with online at times. And I'm speaking very broadly. I just mean specifically women who have who have had to really speak out about this and who have gotten who have gotten angry, who've been upset. I'm not saying they're wrong to do that. I'm saying I wish there was some way and I think I'm trying to do that now. I just want to bridge the gap. I mean, if there's anyone if there's anyone listening who thinks that Greta is wrong or Greta is exaggerating a problem. I really want to engage with you. I don't, I'm not going to tell you to fuck off. I'm not going to do that. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to tell you fuck off for being a misogynist and get the hell out of my show. I'm not going to say that. What I want to do is as calmly as possible, just try to get you to realize that these are real experiences that women are having like Greta. And I want, again, I want to get more on my show if I can. And if possible, I really want to bridge that gap and I really want to say that, yes, you can if – you, if you really wanted to, you can just look, you know, Google every female atheist you can find, find where maybe their anger has gotten the better of them. Maybe their temper has gotten the better of them a, a time or two and they've said mean things or they've said things they shouldn't. You could find all that and you could just sort of quote mine the other side and try to find where feminists in the atheism movement have misstepped things they've said that are wrong. And again, there, there might be some leg- – Greta admitted it. There might be some le- legitimate times where they make mistakes. But you're missing the point if you're doing that. I, you really are. If you're just focusing on that, you're being biased. I mean you're, you're ignoring what's causing the problem. So I'm not 
I'm not saying that feminists should have carte blanche to do whatever, of course. I mean, you would hope that there would be some restraint, and I think there is. I'm, I'm just trying, again, trying to be as fair as I can. But you're missing the point if, if that's what you're focused on. So I just want to encourage you, if you're a listener of mine, and you're someone who's maybe not a fan of a lot of female atheists, or you're not a fan of that movement, you don't like what's happening, first off, write to me and tell me. Write to me a comment, write to me an email, in private, whatever, atheistically speaking at gmail.com. I just want to know. I want to know. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know why you're thinking it. I really do because all I want to do, I don't want, I don't want any enemies out of you guys. I really don't. I don't want the, the, the one thing that I'll say, maybe Greta didn't, I think she misinterpreted my question a tiny bit and she was, she was already on a time limit. Uh, and so I, I was very much trying to listen and not speak too much in that interview, especially since she was speaking from a, a place of knowledge and I was speaking from a place of, you know, speculation or, you know, that kind of thing. I don't have the knowledge she has in this. So, so I didn't try to go back and rehash the question, but I asked her about the in-group out-group thing. And she took that to mean, you know, that I was blaming – well, not not necessarily, but she, she possibly took that to mean that I was maybe insinuating that feminists are kind of to blame for causing a rift when really, as she rightly puts it, the misogynist should be blamed for causing rift. Bullies, online bullies should be ca- blamed for causing rift. And I agree with that. But that wasn't, that wasn't entirely what I meant by that question. What I meant is what I'm saying now is that I, I rather than this in-group, out-group dynamic, rather than this hateful dynamic on, on both sides, I, I really think the, the best possible thing, and if it's possible, it just might not be possible. I don't know. Is to really, I just want to engage you. If, if you're, if you're, if you're an extreme, I'll put it to you this way. If you're a feminist all the way on the other side and you're listening to me right now and you think that I'm saying anything wrong or you think that I'm missing any points, please tell me. But please just, just tell me. I just want to know. On the other side, if you're, if you're on the other side and you, and you hate these feminists, you, you hate Greta, you hate, uh, Rebecca Watson or something, or you really dislike them, you think they're wrong about whatever they're doing, just calmly message me. Just message me. I just want to know. I just email me, whatever it is. I want to know what's happening. I want to, I want to try to work through this. I don't want there to be a rift. I want there to be an inclusive atheist movement that, uh, that can do a lot of good. I don't, I don't want this to be an issue. So that's all I'd say. I know that's hopefully, uh, I don't know. Hope, hopefully this works. I don't know <laughs> this, the way I'm approaching it. I, I really can't say, um, cause I just, I don't know. I'm just coming from a place of not knowing and wanting to unite and wanting to have a dialogue. Um, I think I'm having someone on my show that might kind of have an alternate perspective coming up. I'm not positive how that's going to go. So I'm, I'm, I'll just put it at that. Um, and I'm open to it. I don't want to shut anyone out. I mean, it's easy for me to say, I, I, again, I'm not blaming anyone right now. I'm not blaming. I understand when feminists have to block bullies. I get it. I a hundred percent get it. I think bullying people online is disgusting. I think it's just stupid. I mean, even if, even if you were right, threatening people, like even if somehow everything, every female atheist has ever said is wrong about feminism and like, they're just completely wrong. Even then the actions of these bullies are despicable. I mean, there's, there's just nothing, there's no excuse for it. There's no one, there are people that I dislike. There are people that I disagree with. I don't go and bully them. No rational person does that. Aren't we supposed to be rational atheists? Like what's going on? I don't bully personally. I, I mean, maybe I'm getting a little holier than now. I don't bully anyone online. 
I might try to bring up a disagreement. And sometimes I might, I, I might have a little bit of angry language, but I really don't. Like I don't, I don't go around commenting, bullying people and people who do, you need to stop. That's not the way to deal with problems. So anyway, that's what I'm trying to do here. I hope it can work. I just want to talk to you of either side. If you think I'm wrong on anything I've said, I just want to talk to you. I don't want to create enemies. I don't want to create in-group, out-group. I don't want to create hate. Just just talk to me. So that's all I'll say. And then uh, I'd like to move on to another segment. So I I hope this works. I, I hope you'll understand what I'm trying to do here. And um, that's all I can say. All I can say is I'm coming from a position of goodwill toward toward anyone. You know, anyone who's willing to have a rational dialogue. So thank you for listening. All right. So now I want to get to some comments. It's been a while since I've been able to discuss comments on the show. I don't know why that is. I think I've done it here and there, but, uh, I don't know. I just get backed up in content and um, comments have slowed a little bit. So keep that up. I mean, keep, keep commenting and I'm going to, I'm going to address a couple here. And uh, I read one to, to Greta in episode one of this week. So they get, you know, they get my attention. I read everything. I read every single thing. So make sure to keep that up. So uh, here's one from Henry on, um, uh, I believe it's the face. No, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's the Facebook. I, I put it in a uh, word file, so I don't know. If a corporation such as this is regarding the Hobby Lobby, if a corporation such as Hobby Lobby can be religious, can it also change faith to say Hindu or deconvert to atheism? And if it wins its lawsuit, would it have to provide full coverage when it sheds its Christian faith and thus its objections to birth control? Food for thought, but just another reason why this is a ridiculous position to hold. Yeah, I agree. That's, I mean... I said a lot of things like – a lot of people said a lot of things like that. Noah did, but I don't think we said specifically that and that's a good point. Um, yeah, how does it work? I mean can a, can a corporation go through a, a conversion? <laughs> Is there – should there be a bunch of – you know, uh, should there be a bunch of evangelicals out there trying to convert different corporations like knocking on the corporate door like – Hey, excuse me, corporation. Do you have a, do you have time to talk about uh, Jehovah's you know Jehovah today, or do you do you have time to talk about uh, Joseph Smith today? <laughs> Knock on like the corporation door and go up the elevator. It's a good point. I mean, what what would happen? I mean, how does that work? I, I guess it would never happen. I don't know, but but it's not impossible that. And like he says, it's just food for thought and a reason why it's ridiculous because it's hypothetically possible, but. You know, who knows? The CEO of a company could certainly go through a crisis of faith or go through a changing of faith. Could happen. I mean, what, what would you do then? Just, yeah. It, it just <laughs> further, like he said, it further illustrates why it just makes no sense. So next we have James um, in reference to the CJ interview last week. Great interview. Great discussion with Noah. What he said was, but, uh, oh, oh, sorry, but it wasn't related to that. It was related to my segment on the Salon article. And I had a couple of people comment that the Salon article was not even worth going into because that was too straw man. Not straw, sorry, not straw man. It was dealing with too uh, poor of an argument. And uh, I, I was very, actually, it was a very flattering comment because the tone of the comment was like, hey, your show's too good for this. And uh, thank you. I genuinely appreciate that. I, I, I suppose you're right. I mean, I didn't, <laughs> it's kind of a <laughs> humble brag or whatever. 
I suppose you're right that I've tried to build the tone of the show to not pick on easy arguments. Um, it's going to happen occasionally because I think it's sometimes it's a nice entertainment, you know, factor. It's a nice release uh, and a nice relief to sort of look at some of these bad arguments and just just take a second and laugh at how bad they are. That's never going to be the focus of my show. Never, never, never. Don't ta- you know, you highbrow atheists out there who I want to be my fans of this podcast. That's never going to be the focus. It's going to come up occasionally, though. I mean, you can't fault me for that. Occasionally, I'm going to talk about. Mainly if it's like a popular thing. And what I wanted to do with Salon, I went a little too much into that article, I grant you, uh, because it was it was really poor. But uh, what I wanted to do is more – what's more relevant to my show is the fact that there is this weird anti-new atheist thing going on with Salon. Like what is that? I don't get it. Like Salon and uh, Alternate, actually two of the publications that CJ writes for, <laughs> curiously enough, the only two that he writes for. I think. Um, what's going on there? It's it's bizarre. I, I don't get it. Uh, if anyone has any insight into why they do that, why they bash, because they're not religious. It's not, I mean, they publish religious stuff sometimes, but they're not, I wouldn't say they are religious publications. They're like, they have atheists write for them, but it's more like atheists who have found a way to be smarter than everybody. They're like, oh yeah, here's, I feel superior to all of you because I can bash the new atheists and all that. But anyway, that that was what I wanted to talk about. But interestingly enough, James had a comment about the, the uh, article I read, which was an excerpt from a book. He says, what I wanted to specifically bring up here was your segment on the Salon article bashing new atheism and trying to disprove God. You stated that you didn't know of a scientist slash atheist who has asserted that science disproves God. Well, I do. Victor, uh, Victor Sanger. He even has a book called How Science Shows That God Does Not Exist. Well, <laughs> you got me. <laughs> I, didn't, I haven't heard of that book. I haven't, you know, I, I read a lot, but apparently not enough. I didn't get to that one. Uh, he goes on. The central issue here is how broadly we define science. Some, like Stenger, may define it too broadly. There have recently been interesting philosophical discussions surrounding the problem of scientism. Scientism is, at least according to some definitions, the belief that only science can inform us about the world or lead to knowledge. Atheist philosopher and scientist Massimo, I I don't know how to pronounce that, Massimo Pigliucci, argues against this, I mean, I've heard of the guy, but I've only ever read his name, so I don't, I didn't know how to, Massimo, I guess, sounds it sounds wrong, I don't know why, sounds like that brand of clothing or whatever. Uh, yeah, anyway, he, he names Stanger, Dawkins, Sam Harris, and Jerry Coyne as the main culprits of scientism who attempt to define all useful knowledge in terms of science. One of the problems of scientism, and this is just from my perspective, is that it plays into the hands of those who like to paint atheists as adherents to a cold, hard, brutal reality, recalling previous mistakes like advocating for eugenics. If you haven't read Pigliucci's paper, I'd recommend it. He provides a link. I did read the entire paper. And that's the end of the comment. So thank you. That was James. Uh, Thank you for that comment. And I wanted to talk about this. I I think this is great. Uh, First off, first thing I want to make clear, and I, I think James knows this. I'm not trying to disagree with him. But the article that I read from Salon was nonsense. Even though James is asserting that there's... Uh, a sense in which the article was right or at least related to something that he views, that James views as maybe a good point, this article was was terrible and the book was 
that was terrible. I mean, what, what I heard of it was just, it, it, the examples I read, you know, where he's talking about Dawkins and saying, this is what Dawkins has to say about human consciousness and it has nothing to do with human consciousness at all. And it completely reveals that he can't, he has no concept of what Dawkins was trying to say. And he's looking at it through his lens. So let me just say that. And I think James knows this. I don't think James try, is trying to say that that guy was right, but he does bring up this Pigliucci guy. And this paper, I hadn't read the paper, but I had read Jerry Coyne's blog post about it where Jerry Coyne did not obviously take kindly to it. So I thought I'd talk about it. So let me, uh, let's see where to start. So I read it and I agree with Pigliucci and, and, and Google it, I guess. I actually, I'll, uh, I'll try to provide a link in the show notes. Um, I agree with his analysis of new atheism and, and essentially he's saying it's not new in any way. And the, he says the only way it is new is the scientism stuff. That's kind of an uncharitable view, but it's more new in the popularity. Actually, he mentions the popularity too, but he says the popularity is like an external factor. It's not, it's not for some reason, it's not because of anything the new atheists are doing, which is kind of weird. But um, he says, quote, this is Pigliucci. The real issue is that Dawkins and most, if not all the new atheists does not seem to appreciate the fact that there is no coherent or sensible way in which the idea of God can possibly be considered a hypothesis in any sense remotely resembling the scientific sense of the term. The problem is that the supernatural, by its own human nature, is simply too swishy to be pinpointed precisely enough. So I want to talk about this. I'm not going to go through and summarize his entire paper. I have a few quotes. Um, but this is something that I do think a lot of atheists tend to disagree about. Uh, certainly Coyne and others say that the God proposition, Dawkins says it, is a scientific hypothesis, you know, in some ways, and you can test it. There are things you ought to test. Now, I said last episode, uh, two episodes ago, I, I and I said I, somewhat incorrectly that I didn't think Dawkins said science disproves God. I still, I still am maintaining that I don't think he says that, but I think he would say that it can reasonably rule it out for the most part, um, based on the fact that he views the God proposition as a scientific um, hypothesis. So this guy is saying that it can't be. And there's a sentence which I agree. But can we give no credit? This is me asking you right now. And and write in. This is a topic I'm going, I want to exploit, uh, explore more in depth probably on another show. But for now, because the comment, it was a great comment, I wanted to address it. I did a brief, brief overview. And I'll get more. I'll, I'll uh, if you guys can comment, uh, tell me what you think about what I'm about to say. Um, I know you have a lot on your plate already between commenting with the Greta thing, all the head. Uh, but can we give no credit to the fact that every scientific claim put forth by religion throughout the years has been discredited by science almost universally? There are countless claims that science has disproven. It's it's easy to to pick several. So I would say that in certain ways, science has disproven these religions. The problem, as I see it, is that religion can morph and evolve so easily because it's just so terribly defined. And uh, Pigliucci did kind of say this. And this is why you can never say that science rules it out. But you can say, if you took Christianity, if you just, Christianity as an example, say year like, I don't know, 400 or something. I'm not an expert on early Christianity, although I do have a book about it that I want to read at some point. And you did your best. If you if you took Christianity, you're 300, 200, 400, I don't know, whatever it is. When it, whenever it was sort of developed, but early on in its stages, and of course, science was very undeveloped. And you did your best 
to aggregate every truth claim that it made. I think we could safely say, and it would be curious to try to do this. You'd have to go through historic, you know, you have to go through historical readings of what people believed back then. But you could do it, I think. And I think you could say this would be a guess. Let me know if you disagree. That science has dismantled almost every truth claim from that time of religion of of Christianity. So, so Christianity at a certain time, you could actually say has been reasonably disproven by science because it took every claim it made, every scientific claim in the Bible. By now, we've 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 disproven all of it. So, in my view, the probability of the truth of Christianity today is absolutely devastated by the fact that almost every truth claim it made in its infancy has been demolished. To me, that tells you that it's a crap religion. I mean, that's and I know this never works with Christians, though. Um, but for me, it's like, well, if everything Christians believed in the year whatever, four hundred, five hundred, whatever, pretty much everything they believed, you don't believe. They really don't. I mean, it just has morphed so much that the very few beliefs are the same. There's a couple, of course, but almost everything else is wrong. To me, that's a good sign that the religion is wrong. That's like, oh, okay, well, you know, it shouldn't have even been around. I mean, if we had had science then, science probably would have squashed it back then. I mean, the minute someone tried to make a lot of those claims, scientists would have said, that's wrong, that's wrong, here's why, that's wrong, here's why. But it survived and it adapts. That's the problem. It adapts over the years to every all the progress that science makes. So every time one of these truth claims is disproven by science, religion smartly retreats and sort of redefines and, and you know, oh, maybe we need to approach this text differently. So that's why, strictly speaking, science can never actually disprove a hypothesis that can morph and move the goalposts whenever it wants. It's just impossible to disprove. But couldn't we say that science has disproven many of the iterations of religion. I mean, if we could take a little time capsule, capture a few of these religions at a given year, we could almost say that science has disproven those. And it's only the fact that they evolve and they still go by the same name, even though they're really not the same in so many ways. I don't know. You could put a percentage on it, 80%. I don't know. Um, that's the, the way that survives. So it's interesting. Science has disproven many iterations of religions. But as I mean, Piglucci does say that it's because it's so ill-defined that it's, that it can't refute all of it. So I'm tr- I'm trying to find a middle ground here. I think. Let me know what you think about that. Again, though, the fact that you can redefine terms to plug in a god wherever science hasn't given us firm knowledge, you can pl- plug in and wherever it is, and and science has boundaries. It, we may never know what happened before the Big Bang. We may never know what's outside of our universe. We may never know. So you can always just put God there, and science can do nothing about it. So it, I, I guess it sounds, I'll sum up by saying I need, well, and no, I'm not summing up yet, but <laughs> I'll sum up this point by saying, I think I need to read Stanger's book and see what, what counter arguments he brings to this, what he's saying and, uh, and, and take a look at it. So I, I'm curious to read that. Here's another quote. Harris, for instance, tells us that genital mutilation of young girls is wrong. I agree, but certainly we have no need of fMRI scans to tell, to tell us why. The fact that certain regions of the brain are involved in pain and suffering and that we might be able to measure exactly the degree of those emotions doesn't add anything at all to the conclusion that genital mutilation is wrong because it violates an individual's right to physical integrity and to avoid pain unless absolutely necessary, e.g. during a surgical operation to save one's life if no anesthetic is available. So that's a quote. And what he's trying to say there is that he's accusing Harris of defining science too broadly. 
and saying that philosophy, this guy's whole thing, Pigliucci's whole thing is that philosophy is where all this lies. I mean, and he, I agree with him to a certain extent. And I read Jerry Coyne's um, response to it. You can search it. Just look at uh, why evolution is true.com uh, or wordpress.com or something and just search Pigliucci and his blog. And again, I can try to provide a link. Um, and certainly Coin makes a lot of good points, but I think Coin goes a little too far and he gets a little too into like Pigliucci's just trying to be relevant. He's trying to, to have a turf war between philosophy and science. It goes a little too far, I think. Um, again, I can, I can look in this more depth later, but for now, um, I want to defend Sam Harris by saying this quote. He said, to avoid pain unless absolutely necessary. How do we determine if it's absolutely necessary? That sounds like science to me. If science told us, this is just a hypothetical, if, if science told us that female genital mutilation was somehow necessary to female health and well-being, then the story would change. I mean, the moral thing would change. And I'm sure it would be called something other than female genital mutilation. It would be called some term that, you know, like an appendectomy or something. That, Of course, that's just hypothetical, but, but the, whether it's right or wrong, really, you really need science to determine that. And so I'm going to – I'm a big fan of Harris as you guys know and I'm, I am I do agree with his – I think Pigliucci is right to say that he's a little dismissive of philosophy um, because I think philosophy can help. But Harris talks about the is-ought problem and uh, to me, it may be, call me a simpleton, I think that's fairly easily solved and Harris does it by saying you only need – he doesn't put it in the, these terms but the way – the terms I would put it in. Um, and I, you know, not saying I'm smarter than Sam Harris, but, but the way I think of it, as far as is ought, you only need the first ought, the first ought of Sam Harris's book. And I love Sam Harris's moral landscape. I think it's great. I don't think it's, I don't think he's absolutely right about everything, but, uh, let me know what you disagree with and we can have a debate about it. The is ought problem. You only need one ought. The only ought he needs is. The universe, he, he, he does a hypothetical. He says a universe in which every single organism is suffering as much as it possibly can is bad. And he says, if, if, you, if you're saying that's not bad, then I don't know what you're talking about. And, and you don't know what you're talking about either. You only need that one ought. Once you have the one ought of well-being and, and, and that that universe is bad, everything else is an is. Every, every other problem, and this, this is me, I'm not really, this is not how he puts it, but I, I, it's, it's based on Sam Harris, of course, but I, I sort of put it in my own mind in these terms. Everything from that one ought you do, that one ought you determine, which, which you do, I mean, you do have to take a leap of faith on that ought, and it's not hard, because that ought comes from a feeling of pain, it comes from a subjective experience, and, and uh, you know, there could be people whose brains are built such that they don't understand that ought. And they don't agree with it, um, and that's just the real. That's reality. No, no system of morality, no system of any kind is going to be entirely self-justifying and entirely, you know, vacuum sealed and perfect. Um, but that's the advantage of his system. I think he acknowledges that the one ought you get is minimizing suffering, you know, or, or enhancing well-being rather. Everything from there, to me, is a scientific question of what does that? What is it that? maximizes well-being. In the example of female genital mutilation, I mean, like I said, I mean, if, if science determined that, that was good, if science determined that that helped females, I mean, that wouldn't be a value thing. That's a fact. That's an is. You can look at uh, what it does to uh, health. You can look at what it does to their, their mind. 
you know, you can, you can evaluate these things scientifically that, and the only ought you're using was the first one that you built this whole thing on, which is, seems very uncontroversial to me. So that's what I would say in, in defense of, of Sam Harris there against this. And, and I want to talk a lot about morality at a later date, but I think I'm going to have to hold off for now because I'm running out of time in this episode. So again, I'll have to say I did that debate. There's one debate banked. It's a good one. It's about an hour. I'm going to make that available um, and get on patreon.com slash atheist and, and get that bonus content. Oh, that reminds me. I need to thank my Patreons. If I had a spare minute in the day, I would make, I'm going to make something more formal to thank my patrons. I'm going to maybe like a song or something, but God, do I not have time? I'm trying to figure out a feed, a bonus feed so people can use an app. And that may be figured out by the time you're listening to this, actually. Um, I'm probably going to have to post it online because this is more time sensitive. So let's thank those patrons. So I want to give a thank you. I, I believe I know where I left off. Leanne Boyd. That's where I left off. That's a $5 pledge. Thank you so much. So you get a thanks at the end of every show. And I want to make a more formal time, I just, you know, segment of thanks. I just haven't had time. Uh, and I'll probably try to put it in the middle of the episode in the future. I'm just, uh, I, man, I, I worked the entire weekend on this thing. Again, this is not complaining. I have so much I want to do for you guys. I really do. Um, and and I've, I'm putting every waking hour I have into this. So Leanne Boyd, Kiovar. Don't know how to you know pronounce that. Jeff Williamson, uh, Jeremy Sharp. That's another five dollar. Thank you so much. Cohen de Bruggen. I don't. I'm ignorant. I don't know. Sorry. Alan, but thank you. Alan Firth, Jennifer Bauman, Jay, Cincy Farmer. Nice two dollar thanks there. Noah Wiles, two dollar thanks as well. And Darren Bennett. Thank you guys so much. Those are my new patrons since the last time I thanked you. Now I got to thank my two top dogs. Uh, Bangs, Naughty Bits, and John P. Thank you so much. And my other $5 con- con- uh, contributors, Matt Garrett. And uh, is that it? So the other two were more recent, so I read them. Yeah, thank you guys. You, you will get a for- more formal thanks on the end of every show. Uh, again, <laughs> just I am just treading water trying to survive right now with everything I'm trying to do. Uh, what ate up a lot of my time was trying to figure out this bonus feed that I hope is already up right now for you guys. So it'll make it easy to listen to content. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And please, uh, you know, get that bonus content for those of you who haven't contributed and uh, get on patreon.com slash slash atheist. But if you, as I always say, if you don't have the money, you don't have the money and uh, you, you can enjoy a free podcast forever. I will always put this out as long as nothing happens to me and it will be a great show. I hope. So thank you, and I'll see you next time.